Praise the Lord for Jesus. They gave me plenty of time today, so I'm on the subject of holy matrimony. Maybe that's why they gave me plenty of time. That's a big subject. I'm going to talk about this subject for two Sundays, and then we'll have a cantata and then a Christmas Eve service. Um, we're going to be talking about marriage. Why did God design marriage? Everybody in here probably is most people's married. Some are widows, widowers. Some are thinking about getting married. Uh, some were married at one time. Uh, so we're going to deal with this subject. And it's found in Genesis chapter 2. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. And the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comp comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both at naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. I heard a man say one time, do you know the number one cause of divorce in the world? Marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Marriage is becoming less and less visible today. Very less popular. Listen to this. Seventy years ago, till we're talking about the 1950s, 80% of the United States households were made up of married couples. Today, it's 49%. In 1978, adults between the age of 18 and 34 who were married fell to 60%. Today, it's less than 30% in that age bracket. Marriage is different in all countries and all customs. Many different customs are practiced. I'm going to give you some very unusual statistics and facts about marriage. The most expensive wedding dress ever made in the United States was in 2006, $12 million. That's quite a dress, wasn't it? Las Vegas hosts over 300 weddings every day of the week. In France... You can marry someone who's deceased as long as you can prove they intended to marry you before they died. During the, the late 16th and 17th centuries, it was more fashionable to wear a wedding ring on your thumb. In the 1970s, the average age of marriage for a bride in the 70s was 22.6 years of age, and for a groom was 24 years of age. I was right there because I was 24, my wife was 20. 23, almost 22. 
In 2017, the average age for people getting married in this country is now 30.1 years for a bride and 32 years for a groom. 55% of, of couples dated for over two years before they got engaged. And the average engagement usually lasts at least 14 months in this country. 72% of couples lived together before they got married. 72% that get, get married today have lived together before they got married. 80% of brides, 8 out of 10, will change their last name during marriage. So 20% don't change their last name. 44% of couples write their own vows. On average, couples underestimate the wedding cost by 45%. The average wedding today in America is a little over $30,000. <laughs> the average money spent on a honeymoon is $4,500. The average spent on an engagement ring is $5,000. I never wanted to be average, did you? Thank God for that. Uh, if you're a creative person and you've got a creative mind and you like to create things, and you need to go into the designing business. A career in designing video game designer, fashion designer, web designer, graphic designer, interior designer, and on and on. God designed marriage. Amen. It's not something that man come up with. It's not an afterthought. It began with the first couple. A bad marriage does not mean that marriage is a bad concept. It's a wonderful concept. Ministers today are faced with a lot of different things when it comes to marrying couples. Uh, that you may or may not even think about sometimes. But here's some things that we're presented with and we have to deal with on an individual basis. Marrying an, an unbeliever with a believer. I don't do that. Now, I can't tell 100% if somebody's a believer, but if they tell me they are, then I'll, I'll go with that. What about marrying couples that are, have been divorced? Same-sex couples. That's not even a question. You don't even have to bring that one up to me. Uh, people from different faiths or beliefs. What about marrying a, a Catholic with a Protestant or somebody of one faith with a different faith? Is that a problem? Uh, here's another one that I've just, just come about recently. Laura Messi, age 40, was a fitness, she was a fitness trainer. In her wedding, she had 70 guests, three, I mean, several bridesmaids, a three-layer cake, and was having a fairy tale wedding without a prince. She married herself. It's called sologamy, I think is how you pronounce it. I won't be performing that ceremony either. Uh, what did God have in mind when he designed marriage? And if you're not married, is it bad? You know, he said it's not good for man to be alone. If you're not a married person, is it something you need to run out and find somebody or whatever, or you're God's not pleased with you. We're going to deal with some of that today as we kind of look at the design of marriage. Let's go back to the beginning. That's where our scripture is. I want to talk about the goodness of marriage. The very first chapter of Genesis, God talks about creating the heavens and the earth. It lays out a big overview of everything that God created. And he said it was good. And then it comes at the very end of, of uh, chapter 1. After he says his, all his creation was given, he says God said it was very good. And then you come to chapter 2, and God gives a detail 
of the, of the creation of people. And in chapter 1, he gives an overall view of God created man and woman or, and so forth. But then in chapter 2, he's going to give you the details of how that took place. Uh, verse 18, he said there was something in his creation that was not good. First time God says, it's the first negative statement in history. God said this is not good. Man was not meant to be alone. Now, now, technically, Adam was not alone. God created animals, birds and fish and beasts and all this kind. So he wasn't alone, but he did not have a companion, anybody like him. And so he was alone. Only one he could talk to, he could talk to God, but he didn't have a, another person to talk to. He needed a companion. He needed somebody to share his life with. He needed someone to complete him. That's what the Bible says. He wanted a helpmate. Now, ladies, that doesn't mean... When you get married, you become your husband's helper to where he do, you do all the work for him, anything like that. He let Adam name all the animals in verse 20. Now, this is controversial in a lot of different ways. Before he brought him a wife, he let him name all the animals. Now, do you believe that Adam named every bug and insect and every sand gnat and mosquito and everything like that, I don't believe that's what he's talking about here. Uh, and if you believe God, Adam named everybody in one day, I don't, every animal in one day, I don't believe that's humanly possible uh, because there's like two million species of animals. Uh, here's what most people believe that interpret the Word of God. They say he named the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, and uh, the livestock. Most people say there was about 2,500 animal species there that Adam named. Who knows? Uh, all I know is this. He did name them, and God brought the animals to him. He didn't have to go find them. God brought them to him to name. Now, God wanted Adam to see that the animal world was not like him. He could, he could not have a relationship with the animal kingdom like he could uh, someone like him. So he, he had him name all the animals before he created woman. Now I want to talk about the sacredness of marriage for just one second. I realize everybody in here is not married, and there's many reasons for that. I'm going to go over those reasons uh, why people are not married. Jesus was not married even though he has a bride in waiting, and that's the church. Jeremiah, God told Jeremiah not to get married. Paul was not married. Peter was. Uh, there are worse things than, you know, just because you're not married, that's not a blight on you or anything like that. There was two women talking, and one, uh, the woman says, is that your wedding ring that you're wearing on your right hand on your pinky? She said, yes. She said, why are you wearing it on the wrong finger? She said, I married the wrong fella. And so anyway, that might be the case for a lot of people. It's better to not be married than to be married to the wrong person, I, I guess you'd say. There's four reasons people are not married. They're single. Usually when the Bible's talking about somebody that's never been married, they call them a virgin. Second point is those who were married at one time and are divorced, and they're single now because they were married, but now they're, they're divorced. Uh, Keith mentioned Tom and Gail Sutton a while ago. They were married at one time and went their separate ways, and I had the pleasure of marrying them back together again. So they, they went away and came back and joined together again as one. That was wonderful. 
So if you've never been married, you're single. If you were married but you're divorced, you can be single. If your spouse has died, you can be single. Or if you choose to remain single because you want to serve the Lord and you feel like you can be able to serve him better as a, as a single person. Now look at Genesis 2, uh, 2, 21 and 22 for just a second. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. God was the first anesthesiologist to put somebody and the first surgeon to open put somebody to sleep and open somebody up now he presented the bride to adam after he made her after he made eve god presented the bride to adam preachers do not really join anybody together we perform a ceremony but god does the marrying or does the wedding god gave away the bride the only person you should ever consider marrying is one that you believe would be pleasing in the eyes of God. Now, there's a lot of people, you're going to get, some of you get mad at me for saying this because it's not very romantic. A lot of people say, I believe I've got the one person on earth that God wanted me to have. I don't believe that. There's, unless you've tried out three and a half million people and you found, them, found the one that you've got. But I do believe if you say this, the one I've got, I wouldn't trade for anybody else in the world. Now, I can go with that. But I believe you could have many different people as a choice to, to marriage. But thank God if you believe that the one you've got is the one that uh, is pleasing to God. That's, one, that's the way it's supposed to be. You know, some things are stamped made in the USA. Marriage is made by God. Now, let's go a little further. The selection of marriage. Look at verse 24. <clears throat> Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh now he's talking about leaving your father and mother there wasn't any father and mothers at this time because this is the first couple he's talking to but he's looking on down through the corridors of time there you know god's arithmetic is always very difficult we 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 believe in a trinity there's one god in three persons we believe human beings are three partite individuals they are spirit they have a soul and they live in a body. And in marriage, God takes two people, and when he's through with them, there's only one. Now, this, 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 God's arithmetic can mess you up sometimes, but it's very interesting. Listen to what he has to say about marriage. The number one reason you should get married, the number one reason or the number one priority in marriage should not be somebody's looks, their financial status, their position in the community. It must be their relationship with the Lord. You're not to be joined together to an unbeliever. Why? What's the big deal? I'm going to get into that in just a second. But he says, don't be unequally yoked together. A yoke was a big old thing they put on the oxen or whatever when they were plowing, usually a wooden instrument, and they'd slip it over their head, and they would pull their plow with that, and they would say, put two oxen together so they could be yoked together to plow together. You wouldn't put a big, full-grown ox and a little baby together they're unequally yoked you wouldn't put a, a ox and a donkey together or something they're unequally yoked and the bible says don't be unequally yoked because you can't if you're if you're married to somebody that's not a believer you're pulling in two different directions 
You're not pulling together in the same way because you don't have the same Lord, the same goals, the same desires or anything like that. So God told Adam they were to leave their father and mother and be joined to their spouse. Now, let's look at the selection process of selecting a mate. Selection in Israel's culture. Parents usually were involved in choosing the mate for their child, for their son, usually. And you say, why is that? Because when uh, somebody was married to their child, they became part of their clan, and they wanted to have a say-so in who's going to be part of the clan, whether they're a liability or an asset or whatever, so they sometimes had a say-so. Usually the child did not have a lot of say in that. Sometimes they would consult the child, but sometimes they didn't. Rebecca and uh, Isaac, they never really, he never really saw her until they were married. You remember the story about how Abraham wanted sent the servants out to go find a bride for Isaac? And he went out there and the servant had prayed, God's going to have to help me on this. Whoever comes to drink, if I come to, to get water this well, and uh, I ask them for water, they give me water, and they offer water for my camels. That's the one. Well, Rebecca came down there. She gave him water, and she offered, she said, you want me to provide her water for his camels? He said, that's the one. Anyway, make a long story short, he went to her mom and daddy and asked if he could take her to be the bride for Isaac. And they said, well, give us 10 days. And finally he said, no, I need to go ahead and get this done. So he took her, and as they was going, getting close to home, they looked out there in the field, and there was Isaac. And he said, that's your new husband, basically. And so she put a veil on, and so he never saw her until the wedding. Now, that really goes against us. Listen to this. There was a man from Algiers suing for $20,000 in damages for psychological suffering after waking up on his honeymoon and discovering his wife was ugly. <laughs> and the lawsuit said this. He said, she defrauded me. Because ever since I've known her, she's wore a lot of makeup. And when she took that makeup, I didn't know she was that ugly. I would not have married her. And so uh, he was suing for 20000 I don't know how that worked out. But I will say this. When it comes to parents and their children getting married, pay attention to what your parents have to say. Their parents aren't picking out the bride or whatever for you, but you need to listen. If they have strong reservations, at least give them attention. Don't say... I'm old enough to pick who I want to. If you don't want to come to the wedding, you don't have to come to the wedding. Don't do that. Listen to your parents. That, that's very important. And we also need to re, recapture this thing of love. Hollywood showed us what love's, they think love is. That's really lust. Love is not how you feel always about somebody. It's how you treat somebody or act towards somebody. Don't let Hollywood dictate anything. Sometimes they can, their marriages last up to six months if it's a good marriage. So we're not going to let them define what marriage is or what love is. Selection in our culture. Next to choosing Jesus Christ as your Savior, the most important decision you're going to make is who you choose for a mate. Now, that's more important than the college you're going to go to. That's more important than the career you're going to choose. More important than the house you're going to live in or any other big choices you're going to have is who you choose to marry. The Bible says whoever finds a wife finds a good thing. Now Ahab found Jezebel. Now that's a marriage made in hell. Uh, but but you got to be very careful. It's amazing how people go about looking for a life partner. 
They go to bars to see if they can find one there. We do dating. Some sleep around. The person that will sleep around with you cheating on their boyfriend or whatever will do it to you when you get married. But we've got our ideas of what, how we need to choose somebody. We've got this criteria that doesn't really match up with God's Word. And I'm, not, I'm old, but I'm not completely dumb. I know, I know the process. Uh, there was a man that had a 16-year-old daughter, and his, she was on her first date with this boy, and they'd come home after going to the movies or whatever, and they were down in the, in the first floor, and he was upstairs fixing to go to bed, and at 11 o'clock, he yelled down there for the boy to know it's time to leave. He said, hey, lights are out at 11 o'clock. The boy yelled up there, okay, we'll turn them out. We're not reading anyway down here. So anyway, I know, I know some things that's going on. Now, it's important that you don't marry. In, in Israel's culture, God would not let them marry outside of the Israel nation or the race unless the person had become, uh, become part of Judaism in some way. The reason for that, because he didn't want them to get into the gods and the idolatry of the other nations. So he didn't want them intermarrying with others of a different religion or whatever you want to call it. Look at what 2 Corinthians and Deuteronomy says about this. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? That's pretty plain, isn't it? He just said, you're, you're two different lives, two different goals, two different gods. It won't work. It's not meant to work. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. That's what I was talking about a while ago, about being unequally yoked. Here's what people tell me I've had over the years. Are they a Christian? No, they're not a Christian, but they, they've got a good heart. Okay, well, are they a Christian? Well, they're not a Christian, but they are gorgeous or cute or whatever. Are they a Christian? No, but they treat me really good. Are they a Christian? No, but I believe someday they'll change. I've heard many different things. That goes directly against the Word of God if you marry a believer with an unbeliever. Now, let's look. I'm going to give you six designs that God has for marriage what's the reason God invented this or God designed this thing called marriage number one procreation look at Genesis and Psalm then God blessed them and said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth next one Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is a man who has his quiver full of them. One reason for marriage is children, is procreation, to produce children, uh, to expand the population. God doesn't just want to populate the earth. He wants to populate heaven. And uh, one of the great, I realize there's some people, for whatever reason, uh, children, are, they, some are born in ungodly homes, abusive homes, neglected homes. Some are 
don't want the child. And, and there's all these things, and those children have a very difficult time because instead of being brought up in a place where they're loved and nourished and comforted and trained and guided, they've got two strikes against them, it seems like, from the very beginning. But the purpose of marriage, one of the purposes, is for children to populate the earth and, of course, populate heaven one day. Okay, number two, marriage is for pleasure. Look at Hebrews and 1 Corinthians. Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. I think I've put the wrong, uh, once again, put the wrong scripture. That's not the one I wanted. But that's a nice scripture. Just don't go there. Uh, marriage is the highest and the happiest of all human relationships. God wants marriage is to help keep us from going astray. Let me see if I can put this another way. One of the great purposes of marriage is this partnership. Now, I know couples can rub each other the wrong way sometimes. And I know no marriages are perfect. And there comes, there's times when you do not understand your spouse. And they don't understand you. And they irritate you. And you irritate them. We were working on our house, do, trying to do some uh, remodeling. <clears throat> Every time when I go home, my wife starts yelling at me. And she says, I didn't like what they did here, and I told them to do this, or they needed to do this, and you need to go tell them. You need to tell them to do that and take that down and put this over here. And so every time I come home, I have to, tell, I have to be the bad guy and tell them. And every time, I said, every time we have to keep changing this, the price is going up. Well, I don't like that and don't like that, and she doesn't mind telling me. I said, why don't you tell them? You're here during the day. Tell them so they don't, I don't have to come back and tell them and they have to redo it. I can't do that. I said, you don't have no trouble hollering at me. Just pretend they are me. And you tell them like you tell me. What you, so sometimes we do rub each other the wrong way. But I tell you what, we also be lost without them. Uh, I tell you what, Sometimes I want my wife there. I'm doing something. She may not be helping. Just want her around. Uh, we were. I had a mountain house up in Georgia, and uh, one year, I'd love to go away for those two weeks just to get away. <clears throat> and one year, she was something tied up. She said, "I'm not going to be able to go that first week." She said, "Go on up there and enjoy yourself." I said, "I'm not going if you're not going. What's the purpose? I want you there." Like one man told his wife, he says, if you ever decide to leave me, I'm coming with you. So anyway, <laughs> I'm going too. Uh, so, and, I, and I really feel, I feel for those in our church that have lost their spouse. That is an empty hole, I'm sure, in their heart. And uh, I, I, I know that's a difficult thing. But we just enjoy the pleasure of them being around us. Number three, purpose of marriage is purity. Purity. Listen to this. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Now, 
when you're committed to your spouse, it's just one more protection against infidelity when you and your spouse have a good relationship uh, instead of allowing lust to control your life because lust is out there and that's a part of human nature if you're not careful. Nolan Ryan was a Hall of Fame pitcher. One of the things he used to do sometime all his career in every game, uh, his wife would be sitting in a certain place, a certain area. He would come out sometime during the game out of the dugout, stick his head up, find her, see her, and wave at her. And she said she looked forward to just sometime waiting to see his head pop up out of the dugout. Now, this is something similar, but Bob Russell, Bob Russell, I think Jim Wimburn told me he was his pastor up in Kentucky, a very large church. He wrote this. He says, we were having a church function uh, at the church, and my wife was helping out in the kitchen with the ladies that were cooking. I walked by my wife and her, there was four or five ladies, they were all sitting there talking. I walked by and winked at her. And she kind of got red. And the other ladies all giggled and they all said something about it. And I didn't think no more about it. He said, that night I was watching TV. She slipped up behind me and kissed me on the neck. I said, what, what is that for, he said. She said, do you know how much it means to me when you do what you did in public? He said, and she showed me. He said, I've been winking ever since. And so I tell you, uh, uh, <laughs> so uh, that relationship is very, very important. Okay, provision. Provision, Ephesians 5, 25 through 33. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would, should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay. Now, marriage is a place of provision and protection. There's a... You know, when a child comes into the world, we wouldn't even think of, I mean, a child's totally dependent. They can't do anything on themselves. If you don't feed them and change them and keep them warm or whatever, they're helpless. And, and they, God puts them in our care, and we not only help raise them and help train them, but help them grow up and help them develop. That's very important. That's part of one of the great things of marriage is not only produce children, but to produce the next generation. 
And that's, that's a great thing. Can you imagine a child that grows up with no love, no guidance, no training, no security or anything like that? We see in America, that's, what, that's what's happening in America. It's very fractured. Now, somebody said there's three things in life that you need if you're going to be happy. Something to do, some, someone to love, and something to look forward to. Now, I'm going to talk for just a few minutes about divorce. I ain't here to throw stones because I know many people have gone through the pain of that. And so that's not the purpose at all, but I'm going to show you. God said in Malachi, I hate divorce. I'm going to tell you why God hates it when marriage is dissolved and, and why it's so deadly. It's, it's, I always used to say this to couples that were coming to be married. It's like taking two pieces of wood and super gluing them together as one. And then when you try to tear them apart, it rips a little bit of wood out of each one. You're tearing up a little bit of two lives when they, when they divide up. Now, one of the best books in my library, it ain't a very thick book, but it's probably one of the most practical books I've got, is by Jim Smoke. It's called Growing Through Divorce. He was a pioneer in the divorce recovery field for over 25 years. He said there are five types of divorces. Here's what he said. He'd give them little names. The victim divorce. That's where one mate wants a divorce and the other one doesn't. One wants out and the other one doesn't. You're kind of helpless. What do you do? The vic he calls that the victim divorce. Number two, the little boy, little girl divorce. That's where all of a sudden one mate decides they don't want the responsibility of a mature adult anymore. They want their freedom, want to do their thing, and so they uh, give up their responsibility. He calls that the little boy, little girl divorce. The number three divorce he said he's dealt with over the years is the Iowa's con divorce. That's those that had the mentality, that person's not meeting my needs. It's not what I expected when I come into the marriage. They've got a, usually a self-centered concept of what love is, and it's usually directed towards them. And if somebody's not meeting all their expectations that they had, then it's time to get out. The, four, th the fourth one is the midlife or menopause divorce. That's when a spouse changes in their personality or behavior when they reach midlife or whatever and begin to seek other things. And then number five, he said, was the no-fault divorce. Uh, used to have, have a reason before you could file for a divorce, and then there became no-fault divorce. You don't need a reason. Just, I don't love them anymore. I'm going to try something different. Now, he said, that here's, the, here's the pain that comes with divorce. The results of divorce mentally. When you get a divorce mentally, you're going through a roller coaster of emotions now. You're going to go from I love, I still love them, to I hate them, to I'll get them, or whatever it is. You're going to go with good memories. You're going to have bad memories. You're going to have feelings of guilt, anger, confusion, and depression. There's only one thing that's more difficult than a divorce, and that's the death of your spouse. Number two, you'll not just go through some things mentally. You'll go through a, a hardship physically. You're going to come home to an empty house. You're going to come home to a different situation. Your lifestyle is going to change. Usually in a divorce, one spouse ends up counting pennies and the other is doing pretty good. Doesn't always work out equally like that. And it's usually a lot of pain physically, a lot of adjustments there physically. Number three, he says you're going to change socially. Your relationship with others will change on the job, your school, your community, and your church. The in-laws, which are such a big part of your life now, 
It's a little bit different relationship because you're not married to their child anymore. Things change. You might face discrimination, people choosing sides. Some of your friends may choose his side or her side, and you kind of lose the relationship sometimes that you once had. Then he said children. He said divorce is a war between fathers and mothers, and the children are the casualties. He's come up with single parenting now. You've got time constraints, budget issues. Now you've got to make all those mad decisions by yourself. Visitation, custody. Your spouse gets them a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whatever, and now that person's having a hand in raising your children without maybe the same views and values that you have. Children of divorce face fear, rejection, anger, abandonment, guilt, and loneliness. They wrote in this book, or one of the articles I read, it was about the day that the parents told the children they were getting a divorce. And the little girl was telling the story. She said, they called all of us into the living room. And she was probably 10 or 12 years old. And she said, when they told us mom and daddy's getting a divorce, my siblings started crying. But I went numb. I got so nauseated. I couldn't even function. I went to my room, she said, and I cried deep sobs day after day after day. And here's what she said. When Daddy got ready to leave, I slipped in there before he packed his bags and I got a sweatshirt of his out of the drawer and hid it. Daddy came to visit us the first year very often, second year a little bit less, and the third year less still. And when I get blue, I go get his shirt and curl up on my bed so I can smell him, his cologne or whatever. And I wonder if he's thinking about me. That's a painful thing. Now, I know some people are saying, yeah, but it's bad to be in a bad marriage too. I know. There's no marriages that have failed, that couldn't have succeeded if both partners were willing to do it God's way. And there's no, mar and there's no marriages that didn't, hadn't had many chances to go the other way. It's just a fact of life. But that's what it is. It's a very difficult thing. Children are looking to us for provision, and when the parents are gone, it changes them tremendously. Number five, partnership. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding talking about your wives, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. There's such a strong bond, two people becoming one flesh in the eyes of God, that when that relationship's messed up or out of whack, it affects your walk, your talk with God. Very much it hinders that. Marriage, somebody said marriage is like canoeing. In a canoe, if there's two people paddling the canoe, somebody needs to be on one side and one needs to be otherwise, otherwise you're going around in circles. You've got to be paddling together so you can make that thing go straight. And here's the final one, what marriage is. It's a picture. Number six, a picture. Look at Ephesians 5, and 23 again. Here's what it says. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord, 
For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body. Marriage is a picture God gives us of his relationship with his bride, the church. He has committed himself to us unreservedly in love and his covenant with us. And marriage is supposed to be a picture of that. That's why I don't go for these people that's trying to redefine what marriage is and redesign it. It's a man and a woman. It's a husband and a bride. That's the picture of our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's sacrificial love. Listen to this. Chicago Tribune, 1994. Randy Curley and Victoria Ingram got engaged the early part of 1994. Randy was a diabetic. Anyway, he went to the doctor one day, and she, his fiance Victoria, went with him. And he went in there, and the doctor checked him. He says, your kidneys are gone. And you're going to have to have a kidney transplant or your future is very dim. So he went out there and got his future wife because he wanted her to hear that because she may not want to get married if that was what the future looked like. So he said, come on in here, honey, and listen to what the doctor just told me. And he said, I'm telling you, his kidneys are gone. If he don't get a transplant, he won't be here but so long. She said, well, how about how, what do we have to do to get the transplant? He said, well, there's about 4,000 transplants a year, and there's about 36,000 people waiting. So the odds are not good unless you got a family member. She said, well, test me. Anyway, make a long story short, they tested her, and she was a match. They got married October the 11th, 1994. A few days later, she gave him her left kidney. That was the first transplant of that kind, organ swap between a husband and wife in United States history. Now, that's sacrificial love. You're giving of yourself for somebody else. That's a picture of what love is and what biblical love is. Marriage is under attack from all areas. I'm going to tell you this. Some are trying to remove it. Some are trying to redefine it. The church has even lost its focus sometimes. And we're, we're being led by the world instead of, word of the Word of God. Swan Love is a Seattle-based company. A few years ago, they come up with this thing. They would give a married couple, that was a couple that was planning on getting married, they would give them $10,000 toward their wedding. But if they did not remain married, they had to pay it back with a heavy interest. They were betting on marriage failing. And over $2 million people, $2 million worth of people signed up, and that business model didn't stand it. And it collapsed. I know a lot of people say, well, marriage, it doesn't matter. Marriage is just a piece of paper. If you love somebody, it doesn't matter. Well, let me tell you this. If you're out hunting or fishing and the game warden comes by, so let me see your license. I said, ah, that's just a piece of paper. I ain't worried about it. See what he says. <laughs> the road patrolman stops you and says, let me see your license. Ah, it's a piece of plastic. I can drive without that piece of plastic. See what he says. Real estate contract, whatever. I know it's just a piece of paper, but there's something behind the commitment and the covenant of marriage that is different. I know everybody says you don't need that. If you love somebody, it's, it's marriage in the eyes of God. No, it's a commitment and a, co a covenant relationship with God. E.V. Hill. E.V. Hill's gone on to be with the Lord. He's a black pastor 
from uh, Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles. I used to love to listen to him uh, preach and, and talk. He said when he got married, he said we didn't have, to, he, I was a young preacher, didn't have anything, two nickels to rub together. And one day I had an opportunity to invest in some new business, a little startup business. It was like $5,000 or something, which was big money back in the, probably the 40s or whenever it was. And my wife didn't really consult her much about it. Anyway, to make a long story short, that thing went under. And I came home to tell my wife that, and we barely making it. And he said, you know what she told me? She said, well, if you were a smoker or a drinker, I guess we'd have probably lost that over a period of time anyway. She didn't jump down. She knew I, my ego was very fragile. And I was ready to give up on everything. But she, she said, we're in this together. He said, I came home uh, one evening. And she had candles on the table. And I said, what's going on? She said, we're having a candlelight supper. I said, oh, wow. What's the reason? Just want to. Okay. And he said, I, I was putting things away. Went back there and flipped on the light switch. There wasn't no power. I said, what in the world's going on? She started crying. She said, I didn't have enough money to pay the bill. He said, she didn't say, boy, you've really been a good provider. She didn't jump at me or anything like that. He said, she, she said, let's just have a candlelight dinner tonight. We'll deal with that tomorrow. He said, I'll miss, I miss my wife. They were having a 50th wedding anniversary at the church. The pastor went up to the man, the husband, and said, Joe, 50 years. That's a good long time. He said, yes, it is, pastor. Very good long time. But not nearly as long as those 50 years would have been without her. Marriage is a very special thing in the eyes of God, not to be looked at as nothing of significance, because it is. I want you to stand with me. We'll pick up next week and carry it a little bit farther. God's design for marriage. Let me say this. If you're here with your spouse today, you know, I'm, never, I'm not one for telling you to turn over and look at somebody or do anything like that. But you might want to look at them and just say, I thank God for you. Marriage. Matrimony. It's holy. It's special. It's God's design. It's God's idea. Our society goes as the family goes. When the family crumbles, our culture, our society, our nation crumbles. Families are under serious attack today. We need the grace of God. We need the power of God. We need to get back to the Word of God and build our home on a foundation that will stand forever. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you this day for couples. Our heart 
breaks for those whose spouse is no longer with them because of death. What a painful, painful thing as they regroup and readjust their life. I pray for you to give them a special comfort and love. And we pray for those marriages that are struggling, not easy, trying to hold it together. I pray, God, that you can work on both sides because it's going to take work from both sides to make it work as they look to you. And we pray for those who are still young and contemplating marriage. I pray, God, that you would help them realize it's a very important decision not to look at it frivolously or lightly, but reverently, soberly, fearly, fearfully and in the, in the fear of God. We thank you, Lord, for the picture of Christ and his church, his bride. One day we're going to be joined together and we'll celebrate at the marriage supper of the Lamb when our groom comes back for his bride. I pray, God, for every family represented here today. Good times, bad. We all struggle. We all fail. None of us are perfect, and our marriages are not perfect. But God, help us to restore and rebuild our homes. Help us to learn what it means to repent, what it means to forgive, what it means to lay down our life for another person. May we do it, Lord, as you lay down your life for us. Bless us this day, Lord, and bless our marriages. We ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. If you need special prayer today, you're welcome to come pray. Otherwise, we'll see you tonight.